Hey, Northeast Pennsylvania, it's Rob O'Donnell here on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. You can also catch us anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Just search The Rob O'Donnell Show. It is uh, 308 and 65 degrees, nice and sunny outside. On this Tuesday, October 24th, 2023, the Rob O'Donnell Show is brought to you by Road Scholar Transport. You have unique shipping needs, and Road Scholar has unique shipping solutions. Dry van, temperature-controlled, and high security are just a few. Visit roadscholar.com. So how's everyone doing on this Tuesday? A lot of moving parts today. Another two hostages were released by Hamas, elderly individuals. And it's a shame because the one woman who said she was uh, punched in the gut, she was given medicine and food while she was a captive. She was held in, in part in the tunnels that are under the Gaza Strip in Hamas. But her husband is still being captive, so that's got to be a nerve-wracking even though she's free, you know, her husband, her partner is uh, still being held hostage. So a little more. And Israel has upped their pounding of the Gaza military targets, the Hamas terrorist organization. They've taken out a few leadership positions today because they are slow rolling the release of hostages. So far, it's only the four, the two Americans and the two today, uh, yesterday that were released. They were marched to the Egyptian border by Hamas terrorists and handed over. So uh, hopefully that continues and even upgrades. I think there are over 200 now, they're saying, hostages being held by Hamas. There was a big meeting at the UN today. Nothing really coming out of there, to say, uh, to say the least. It's, it's The UN has become more and more of a disappointment as far as what they, what they do and they don't do. <laughs> You also have another Trump uh, co-defendant, Jenna Ellis, pleading guilty in the Georgia election case. She did read her plea today and uh, admit her guilt, say she was wrong, and if she, in hindsight she wouldn't have done what she did. She will be paying a fine. Community service will be writing a letter to the voters of Georgia. But this case is looking less and less... Uh, less and less optimistic for the Trump organization, for Donald Trump himself. And in turn, his candidacy, even though uh, will it have much impact on it? it? It appears not, just from the text messages I get here, the statements you see on social media. There's a lot of people who just um, are, are not concerned with what's going on with these criminal cases, and, and you should be. We all should be. But we will let this process take place. They have the right and opportunity to plead guilty, to step away from the defense of this case, and that's what they've chosen to do. And Donald Trump and his defense team has the right to continue and, and launch their defense in the case. And we'll see how that uh, works through. We have, we have to have faith in our criminal justice system. Um, and maybe not at the initial level. We've seen a lot of politics intertwine with that but uh you know as appeals and everything else and everything that affords someone who is charged and tried has to their avail be it appeals the different level of appeals we'll see how that process marches on and and we'll go on with there you also have the continued 
dysfunction in the House of Representatives. And, and it's interesting to see. I, I've seen local wannabe political analysts, local cartoon characters here want to blame uh, want to blame the Republicans. And believe me, if you've listened to this show, I have been as hard on the Republicans as anyone could probably be as far as this, this charade that's going on where it just got even worse today. Um, you know, we're going to speak about Congressman Dan Muser in a little bit, but, uh, you know, I told you so was kind of reminiscent of what I should say because I said he just does not have, he's not at that level. And I think he realized that. He let uh, grasp for ego and power or, you know, he was talking to local reporters when he said, yeah, I might throw my name in the ring. And, and I'm glad he saw early on enough and, and went back to doing should be doing the people's business as a congressman, but uh, more of a statement was he's going to run the Pennsylvania campaign arm of uh, Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Well, he should be a congressman first, and let's hope let's let's hope be hopeful that that's uh, the stance he does really take. But they had a bunch of votes today; they were down to one, and. Uh, It looks like Congressman Emmer, but there are now 29 members of Congress who said they will not vote for him. So he does not have the votes to become speaker. He may be nominated. It appears he will be nominated, but with 29 holdouts, there's not. So wh where where are we? We're back to zero, square zero. And, and I just want to bring it back again. There is 24 days till a government shutdown. Not only is there 24 days till a government shutdown, but our military is actively engaging in threats around the world. Just in the past four days, there's been two engagements with long-range cruise missiles and drones. They're expecting this. Every military analyst out there, the president himself said there will be an increase in this. And, and we don't have a functional chain of command to give an authorization of force to respond the way there should be a response. And, and the primary response is to interdict any incoming missiles, either targeting U.S. interests, U.S. allies, or our troops are themselves. But immediately following that, there should be a strike at wherever that was launched from. And we have yet to see that. And until we see that, until we see that show of force, these attacks will continue and they will get greater. Because if there's no recourse except for us knocking them out of the sky before they get to their target, they're going to continue this. So hopefully Congress gets their act together. And I will put the question out there again that I put on my social media, I put it the other day. Will we end up back with a Speaker McCarthy? I don't know. Will we circle back to Jordan, Jim Jordan, or, or Steve Scalise? It's really unknown at this time. There is really no front runner across the board where someone could say, hey, this is the, the next Speaker of the House. But make no mistake, if you want to look at the three num the, the eight num nuts who initiated the removal of the speaker and the entire democratic caucus for joining in with them to put us in this position then they all have to own that you can't say okay well you can elect hakeem jeffries and we can move on no that's not the way this works and you know what if if you don't have the majority so there's going to be a majority speaker and as long as that takes it's going to take if that means you can't get aid to the Palestinian people, if that means you can't get aid to Israel, if that means you can't get aid to Ukraine, 
and we shut down our government in 24 days, then are you ready to own that? Because that's the results, and everyone needs to own that. Because it took everyone to put us in this position. It didn't just take eight. It took eight to remove the speaker. Actually, it took one to remove the speaker, but eight actually joined in with it. Eight prevented another speaker from being put in, eight GOP members of the House. But without every single Democrat, we wouldn't be in this position either. So they all own that. And if you don't see it that way, then then I, I don't know what to tell you. But I saw this story, and we talk about the EVs, electric vehicles, and everything here, but there's an environmental group that's launching a million-dollar Scranton-based electric vehicle ad campaign. And who do you think it's going to star? I'll, I'll leave it out there. I mean, if you read the paper... You're, you're, you'd know. But who do you think this EV commercial, this million-dollar ad campaign, is going to be starring here in, in Scranton, Pennsylvania? The Environmental Defense Fund rolled out an ad campaign last week and will use television, digital, social media, and print advertising to promote the benefits of electric vehicles, including tax incentives, reduced fuel costs, and cheaper maintenance compared to their gas counterparts. Well, is that really so? Is it? According to a news released from the New York-based nonprofit group, targeting Pennsylvania and Washington, D.C., the ads are set in the electric city. The nickname Scranton earned for having the first commercial viable electric streetcars in the nation in the 1800s. Now, mind you, those electric streetcars were powered by cold power power plants. Just like you have Gavin Newsom, the governor of California in China, touring their buses because all their buses are electric buses, again, all charged by cold power, coal power electric plants. Well, the Pennsylvania EVs, one commercial titled Pennsylvania for EVs, prominently features Scranton Mayor Paige Gephardt-Cognetti whose administration used $390,000 in state and federal funds to add EVs to the city fleet. In March, Scranton unveiled 10 electric Chevrolet Bolts with 10 charging stations for its code enforcement officers. The 30-second ad, called Love for EVs, focuses on the Monroe County couple discussing cost savings associated with tax credits and uh, just lost my, uh, my story. There we go. You find, give me a second here. My screen, screen went blank all of a sudden. Doesn't seem to be anything uh, not common here. The 30-second ad called Love for EVs focused in Monroe County. Uh, talks about tax credits, fuel, and maintenance, the cost savings. Of the, now, the EDF says its ad campaign's emphasis on how federal policies, including the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, propose clean air standards, uh, blah, 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 the typical stuff. But it does get into how there's a lack of EV charging stations here in uh in uh, Pennsylvania, in Northeast Pennsylvania specifically, in the Scranton area specifically. 
So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with that here. And again, I apologize. My screen for some reason keeps going out blank. And I keep losing my, uh, my link to what I'm talking about here. But there'll be this, uh, here you go. You don't have to just think about the affordability of the car, they said. Now you have to think about the affordability of putting a charging station in your home because uh, of the cost to have fast chargers. Now, under the Inflation Reduction Act, you get a $7,500 federal tax credit for pre-owned EVs, and you can qualify for, qualify for 4000 for used EVs, pre-owned EVs. Now, they said that the, the after the EV sales tax, slows have s slowed down for our area, mainly because of the lack of charging opportunities here and installing a fast charger in your house, not one that takes 8 or 10 hours, is uh, cumbersome for a lot of people here. The EDF estimates household level two chargers cost $1,500 to purchase and install. Household level two chargers use a 220 volt, 240 volt power to charge the EV empty to 80% in four to 10 hours, according to the U.S. Department of Transportation. So, again, they're putting all this money here into, uh, you know, go EV, and of course, you know, our. Our mayor here in Scranton will be uh, featured in it. Why wouldn't she? But there is a lack of fast charging stations here in the Scranton area. So what do you do then? I mean, if you, if you work locally in the Scranton area, if you work within a half hour where you live, an EV may be very well good for you. You know, if I lived in a city area or even a suburban area, it, it may be a viable alternative if I could get a charger input in my house. But until then, any trip that I really take on a weekend, I wouldn't be able to make in one trip. I would either have to stop for a few for a while, and depending on the availability of fast chargers, that stop may consist of two to four hours. Can you do that? Now, again, if you're staying local, if you really don't travel much, it may be a good opportunity for you. And again, hybrids are a viable alternative but we seem to be skipping that. We seem to be going right to electric only. And again, the majority of our electric, even today, comes from either gas or coal, fossil fuel-powered plants. So are we really saving the environment? We'll be there one day. I just don't think we're there yet. It's 3.23 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. Here we go. Uh, got a bunch of text messages coming in. Of course, uh, we always do. So stop calling them electric vehicles. They're battery-operated vehicles. Yes, they are. They're powered by electric, though. And that, like I said, those electric uh, that electricity comes from fossil fuel-powered plants here in Pennsylvania. Somebody said that, Rob, I think a lot of these co-defendants are pleading guilty, the Trump co-defendants in the Georgia case, to much lesser charges out of fear for themselves and their families and nothing else. I, I agree there. They are figuring, hey— a couple thousand dollar fines, misdemeanors. I write my letter, I do my community service, and I'm done with this rather than spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to defend myself. That I 100% agree with. It says, I do not think this will hurt Trump whatsoever. I think this will be to his advantage. I don't see that, though, because uh, 
they're also all agreeing to be state witnesses. So what do they say? Now, I'm not saying that's a slam dunk. They might be the state witnesses and say there's nothing there. They just pled guilty to uh, because it was the best of two evils. So, uh, yeah, we'll see that. And since so we could thank Matt, Matt Gates for not having a Speaker of the House. What happened to the court problem Matt had? That's a good question. I, I think he was investigated. I don't think they really got in-depth in anything there. But, yes, you could definitely pin this on him. And, again, an ego thing, personal issues that he may have had. So, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. Let's go to the phones now. We have uh, L from Wayne County on electric vehicle chargers. Well, I was the one that just sent that one text about Matt because they said that he had a court problem, and then then all of a sudden you didn't hear anything about it, and still I haven't heard anything about it. Well, he was being so investigated. Sure. I don't think the investigation really went to where they wanted it to. I don't think because I think if they actually found something, he has enough enemies to where it would have been highlighted. So yeah, I, well, I don't it, think they were able to find any kind of smoking gun or anything they can actually do anything with. But But it's funny how they mentioned it. And then they didn't even tell us that nothing was going to happen with it. You know what I mean? They're not following through or following up on anything that they'll put that out in the news. Now, like you just read a few minutes ago, something about Pennsylvania has a lot of EV charging areas. Well, it's not been even a month. They had a guy on TV saying he was driving from state to state across the whole United States. And he said, now I'm here in Pennsylvania. And he said, there's hardly no chargers at all. Well, that's, that's I, I, said, I said, said there it. aren't any here in Northeast Pennsylvania. Matter of fact, there's only two high-speed charger areas in, in Lackawanna County. Where are they? There's one on Montage Mountain, and there's one somewhere else. Um, I don't have off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, Montage is the only one that I was aware of. I don't know. But uh, Honesdale has one on Main Street. That's the only one I've ever seen up in that area, you know. Uh, up in the north, and then the montage area in the parking lot. I The last time I was there, I think there was about five Yeah, I, six, I, I've maybe. talked about it a bunch of times. I know they want to put them in a certain areas. They want to put eight, and they'd be the first uh, eight along the, the turnpike or anything like that. But there's just not enough. So to have this, to spend a million dollars to push EVs for this area when they don't have enough chargers to deal with them, you know, like I said, I, I know people who have them that live in the city, and if you're just driving to and from work less than 30 miles, it may be a viable option. For us here in rural Pennsylvania, I don't think it is. Well, what happened with all the hydrogen-powered? There was supposed to be a hydrogen-powered car place being built, well, they, and then we didn't hear anything about that either. They don't have the good lobbyists that get into the pockets of the legislatures. That's all that is. Mm -hmm. That's where well, that goes. All right, Elle. need to... <laughs> They I, need to get on the on the ball. <laughs> they, they do. I appreciate your call. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. It's uh, three thirty-one here at WILK. We'll be back after the news with Paul Michaels. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It is three thirty-seven. Sixty-five degrees and sunny. Looks like a nice week this week as far as weather goes. Enjoy it. Uh, whatever happened to that fleet of school buses that the Scranton School District was supposed to get? Does anyone in Scranton know if we took delivery of those? You know, they even had to take that vote to extend the school bus contract so they were able to get these school buses. Uh, be interesting to see how they hold up over this winter, how they make it if uh, you get there. And we're going to keep on top of that. So if you have children in the Scranton School District or if you're just aware of what's going on with the Scranton School District, 
Did they take delivery of those electric buses yet? So we're going to see. And I think as as more electric vehicles go widespread to different areas of the nation, we're going to see more and more problems with them. I'm getting text messages about how the lithium bar- batteries, as far as you know, how dangerous they are as fire hazards, the mix of salt air, salt water, and the hurricanes in, in areas close to the, the ocean uh, is going to be an issue. So there's going to be a bunch of them. Let's go to the phones. We have uh, Joe from Trips Park on EVs. Joe, how are you? Hey, how are you, Rob? All right. Yeah, the EV thing is like, that's the one that really gets me out of all the madness. <laughs> that's the one that really does. Uh, and you, did, did you see the it. article today in the Citizen's Voice that I was referring to? No, I didn't see the article. Yeah, if no. you can check it out. It, 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 it kind of contradicts itself in many places. I mean, where it really grabbed my attention, of course, they're starring uh, Paige Gebhardt Cognetic. From Scranton in this, uh, you know, because of course, why, why, you know, the 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 Northeast Pennsylvania AOC needs to get in the commercial. It's a shame what she's turning into. I mean, it's like getting worse, not better. Um, when you elect someone from Seattle or wherever she's from, that's uh, pretty much what you're getting. So if you didn't expect that, or the voters of Scranton didn't expect it, then so so be it. Yeah, you get what we vote for. Um, this EV. No matter which way you look at it, from the production cost on the environment, which that's their point, right? Mm-hmm. All the way to the operating cost on the environment and the recycling cost on the environment. Um, what's going to happen to your homeowner's insurance once you have that fire hazard in every garage in America, theoretically speaking? Okay, there's no way possible the material is going to exist to produce it. They never will. And, you know, even on a small scale, city to city, these things draw a lot of electricity when they're being charged, more than your central unit does to heat your house. I mean, you'll remember in the summertime, the blackouts, especially in New York, you know, everybody has to be easy on the AC. What's going to, I mean, the weather's not going to change. You're still going to have to heat and cool your home. On top of that, you're basically adding a second or third air conditioner in your garage. That has to run unless you don't want to ever leave your house. So what's going to happen to our grid then when the use of it, I mean, the workload of it is doubled by having electric vehicles. Yeah, uh, absolutely, and that's that's depending. I mean, there's the three level charger. Level one, level level one takes like twelve to fourteen hours to charge your vehicle. A level two charger will do it in four to eight hours, and then you have your your fast charger, which will do it in anywhere from forty minutes to two hours, depending on you know where your charge is and what kind of vehicle and what your drawer is. Now, who has the space in their panels? A lot of places. I know a lot of when I, when I was. You know, down in, in Alexandria, Virginia, the grid did not have the capability to put high-speed chargers in our lots. Uh, it was just plain and simple. Are there that many places here when we have it? So, uh, you know, I, I just think they're, they're with, without the infrastructure in place, the road they're going down with unproven technology. And like you, you brought up, from development, from the mining of these materials to the development and, and engineering of these cars to the building of these cars to the use of them to the disposal, when you put all that together, they're worse than your combustion engine cars as far as uh, their impact on the on the environment. Absolutely. According to J.D. Power, the average break-even point is 80,000 miles for an electric car to break even with a gas car. If that battery has to be replaced just once, Forget about it. You're talking way above 150,000 miles. That's more than the average American keeps their car for. If you get into an accident, you replace it. That goes out the window also. And that's not taken into account the recycling of it. 
Yeah, we're not so, even looking at the widespread disposal of fleets of these electric vehicles, which don't exist at this current time. When you know they're saying at this point, you know, this is all we want to put out there. What happens when they're all time for them to all get turned over? Oh, you don't want millions upon millions of batteries sitting in a junkyard. Well, we're, <laughs> we're going to have to we're going to have to expand this landfill here in in Dunmore Troop area all the way up to the the far city area is is what we're going to have to do for this area. You know, they wanted to be in the forefront of electric vehicles, then you have to deal with the outcome down the road twenty years from now. Yeah, and I mean the economic impact that it has right now. China is the manufacturer that's failing. The only thing that could save them is they become a supplier for one of the biggest businesses in the world, which is, you know, auto industry. And if they supply these batteries. So if they're if they're hanging by a thread, you're throwing them a lifeline by doing this. Which again, I I, I think the whole thing is just bogus and to get votes because there's no physical way you can change electric fully. What are you gonna do in Alaska? Yeah. With with the cold weather, you can't hold a charge in these areas. It doesn't work like that. So I think it's all just you know, just Whatever, look at me politics, like you say, and then just it'll be all gone because, I mean, we'll come back down to earth when push comes to shove and everybody's got to get to work in the morning. It's going to be interesting to watch it go. Hopefully, uh, you know, they stay away from forcing everyone to do it, but it's going to be interesting watching the ones that do go down that path. Like I said, I, I'm, in, I'm interested to see how the electric buses, you know, the school buses do in Scranton and in our areas in northeast Pennsylvania and how they go. Yep, me too. All right, Joe, I appreciate you checking in. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. It's uh, 343 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's 347, 65 degrees and sunny. Well, the FBI is investigating the ongoing threats to the schools in our area as per the Wilkes-Barre School Board at their uh, school board meeting. They brought up the fact that uh, the individual, 33-year-old, Eddie Manuel Nunez Santos from Lima, Peru, was charged with making more than 150 bomb threats between September 15th and September 21st to U.S. school districts, synagogues, airports, and hospitals. But um, they're saying that it's an ongoing and growing issue, especially in the tense times in the nation of what's going on. But the FBI is involved with it. Monday's, this past Monday's threats to another school district was also very similar to Friday's threat to the Wilkes-Barre area. Dallas, Lake Lehman school districts dismissed students early on Monday due to it. Regardless of how many threats they receive, we take each threat seriously, and you have to. With everything that's going on, you know, are they testing to see response? Is it having nothing to do with the school and just people causing havoc? Is it people locally looking to get out of school or cause havoc for whatever reason. But you have to take each one seriously. They still have to go through, uh, you know, what's happening with them as far as uh, as far as investigating them, as far as at least getting there, checking them out. You know, they can rule it out, but that one time where some you, you don't take the necessary precautions and something happens – you know, you will regret it. So there's, there's, there's got. They have to find that balancing act to deal with how they're coming in, to analyze them as they come in, and uh, what the minimal impact they could, they could have on the students and staff to keep school in session. We also uh, saw that Representative Dan Muser withdrew from the Speaker's race in uh, what 24 hours, less than 24 hours, which was a smart move on his part. You know, I, I've, I've. 
told you my stance from the very start. And again, it has nothing to do with him being a United States congressman from our, our area. I just don't think he had the skill set to be speaker. And I'm glad he realized that to take his name out of the, the ring so we can move forward. But even with that and with all the others moving forward, the one that they have now that they, seems to be the front runner to be put forward doesn't look like he has the votes either. So we're back to square one with uh, no adults in the room in our House representatives to move forward. Is it going to take a crisis? It, it might. Is it going to take a crisis for our area to uh, for them to realize? You know, I was just pulling up this uh, information right here. U.S. troops in the Middle East have been attacked 13 times in the last week as per the Pentagon. Brigadier General Pat Ryder confirmed Tuesday, today, that there were 10 attacks in Iraq and three in Syria. U.S. troops positioned in the Middle East have been attacked 13 times, like I said, with a mix of one-way drones and rockets, according to Pentagon officials. The U.S. Department Department of Defense spokesman, Air Force Brigadier General Pat Ryder, confirmed today that troops in Iraq had been attacked 10 times between October 17th and 24th, while during the same period, troops in Syria have been attacked three times. Now, we heard about the... USS Kearney interdicting three cruise missiles and eight drones. We heard about an attack yesterday on Monday where we interdicted one-way attack drones. But have we heard widespread 13 attacks on, on our U.S. assets, on U.S. military troops? 13 in the past 10 days. According to the most updated list, which has been reviewed by Central Command, CENTCOM, there were a total of eight attacks that they're confirming. It's unclear where the additional five attacks occurred, which CENTCOM has not yet reported. So there seems to be a differing opinion from the U.S. Department of Defense spokesman, Air Force Brigadier General Pat Ryder, who said there's been 13, and CENTCOM, who's actually the -the on-the-ground command center for our military in the area. On October 18th, Al-Assad base, which is west of Baghdad, U.S. forces engaged two drones in which one was destroyed and the second was damaged. There were minor injuries to coalition forces and some damage to the base. So one one of the drones reached the base. Thankfully, we were able to scuttle it, but it was still able to reach there and caused minor injuries, what they're saying, to coalition forces. A contractor suffered a heart attack. And earlier warnings for an attack that never took place. So while the misfits in Washington are are playing games in their safe little environment protected by their private security force, taking secret votes we've had between 10 and 13 attacks you would think the department of defense and centcom would get their numbers straight but yeah this was just being posted now and there seems to be but did we hear 13 i mean i only knew it too i knew the uss carney interdiction on friday and then we had the one on the base yesterday 
where it said we intercepted the two drones. Now I'm find, we're finding out that one of the drones was damaged but still reached its target. And at what point do we come together as a nation? What, at what point do we get a functional government here? Is it after World War III starts? Is it when one of these drones have chemical weapons on it? Is it when one of these drones actually takes out 50, 60 U.S. personnel? Is, is that when we grow up here as a country to move forward? It's unbelievable what's happening before our very eyes. And, and nothing, nothing could get done. And like I said, and I'm going to keep stressing each and every day until they either have some kind of spending bill. It's 24 days until the government shuts down. You're not hearing much of that. I haven't heard it in the news anywhere. I had to literally look it up. 24 days, November 17th, the government shuts down. And we have a dysfunctional government that can't vote on a thing. Interesting times. Interesting if you can make your way through it. If it's hurting you, you're hurting. It's 4 o'clock, uh, three, 3.55, Bloomberg. This is a Bloomberg Money Minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. Only about a minute before we go for the top of the hour. But there's a, there's a housing shortage in Pennsylvania. And uh, if we don't continue to increase the inventory at all levels, we're never going to get where we need to be, said Representative Mike Sterler, Democrat of Lancaster, said during a House Housing and Community Development meeting on Monday. We can't build our way out of just building subsidized housing. They're talking about targeting at the legislative level code enforcement across the communities of the Commonwealth. Is that plowing the way for housing, multifamily housing, for new residents of our nation that may be coming here? It's interesting. Are they going to force your community on the state level to ease its coding enforcement to uh, at the local level? So it's something to keep an eye on. You want to look at the center square.